If you have your Bibles tonight, I ask you to find Genesis chapter number one. And as you likely know, um, tonight's the beginning of a pretty exhaustive journey for us where we will not skip a single verse and we'll work our way through the book of Genesis over the next, um, oh, roughly five quarters. Um, So I guess you could say a year plus overtime. And uh, tonight, I just want to begin by giving some of the big thoughts found in the book. And it is a, a big book, and it's a foundational book, and it's a book that over the last hundred years, much injustice has been perpetrated against this book. And um, I expect the family here at East Rock to um, take regard of that, that ill treatment and cast it away and see this as thus saith the Lord, a revelation to his people, and receive it as such. Tonight I just want to start by reading one verse, because it's either one verse or all 50 chapters, and there seems to be no in-between. So what do you guys pick, one verse or? Joe Loon says 50 chapters, so here we go. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Would you pray with me? Father, help us to indeed find fresh wind and fresh fire simply in that reality, in the beginning God. Might we find not only our roots, but our foundation, not only our formation, but our destiny in this reality. God, you are real. And might we find fresh confession over the coming months that there is a God, yes and amen, and that I am not him. Might this become not only a bulwark to keep us safe against the foolish thoughts that there is nothing, but might it also become the firm place where we stand to know not only that the earth did spring from your powerful word, but it will also answer before your transcendent throne. Lead us tonight and in the weeks and months to come to see you in a fresh way. In Jesus, I pray, amen and amen. If you have the bulletin, I pray at least your family has a copy. You'll see I have a lot of points, and that probably makes you nervous. I'm going to go ahead and tell you it should. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. But I won't try to belabor any one thing because I want to share several things and I want to do so as timely as I possibly can. The first one is this. More than anything, Genesis is a revelation. Let the church go ahead and say amen. The church, the, Genesis is a revelation. It's the opening salvo in several sacred books that are part of the Bible, the revelation of God. The Bible is a collection of 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. One does not, one does not uh, determine the canon of Scripture. One discovers it, and Genesis is first. It is a revelation of God. Now, we throw that word around, and somebody might be tempted to think of the book of the Revelation. That's not wrong, except we probably should say a couple of ideas about what revelation means. Sometimes a revelation is some surprising or previously unknown fact or truth 
And sometimes we'll call it a revelation when it's made known in a dramatic fashion. If you're an adult who spent any time around children, it's likely you know the fun of playing peekaboo. How many times are they delighted and excited to see you? Sometimes I just want to think, like, who did you think was behind there? But they're having so much fun. You know, you just do it over and over again. They haven't lost touch with the fun of seeing something revealed in an exciting way. Genesis is that. There are going to be many things, and if you've been reading your Bible portions or listening to the Bible reading podcast, I am sure you've found some exciting things in the book of Genesis in the last couple of weeks. My, my wife is just really put out and hurt for, uh, for Leah. Leah has gotten my wife's nerves toe up. She wants somebody to go back and handle Jacob's attitude about Leah, you know. And uh, I've told her the time has passed. We can't do anything about that. But she's been genuinely put out for, for Leah. It's, uh, it's actually kind of, kind of sweet, except I'm tired of answering her questions. <laughs> but also revelation is, and I'm going to use one of the several dictionary definitions I looked up. This one comes from dictionary.com. I love the simple wording here. It said it's the divine or supernatural disclosure to humans of something relating to human existence or the world. Now, what's interesting is they still left that in the human realm. Where does this revelation come from, and what else does it include? I like these words, the divine or supernatural disclosure. In other words, it's a revelation of not only where people come from, but our purpose, the point of our creation, and that's pretty fun. It's also a revelation of where the rest of creation came from and what its point is, and that's pretty fun. But the greatest revelation is God himself. The Bible would tell us, and Genesis definitely lays the groundwork for this, God is at once transcendent, or maybe the way we might say this, sort of in the vernacular, he's out of this world. But he's also imminent. He is involved in the world. Now, you don't know how amazing that is. Could you imagine? Imagine your favorite ball player, your favorite musician, your favorite actor. Could you imagine Katie? I'll put Katie on the spot. Being at Madison Square Garden, watching Taylor Swift. And as she's putting on her choice performance... She never stops singing, but texts you individually and personally. Now, that might surprise y'all. Katie gets that treatment everywhere she goes. It would almost seem crazy to think you could know even a famous person who everyone knows, but that they also know you. Without being much more heady than that, that's how I have to think about being in the, in the palm of a transcendent and imminent God. He's out of this world, but he reaches into it. He works in it. He's present even here. Glory to God, even now. If, 
we, we would do well to never forget this, that God made creation and God is the cause of creation and God interacts with creation. This is so important. There is a very popular notion in our world today that the universe itself is some sort of power. No, this powerful God is also a personal God, and he is outside of this creation that he acts within. And this revelation is needed. This divine, this supernatural disclosure is needed even in our day. You know, the, the, uh, uh, I'm a little jealous of people who have these things, you know, uh, people who have things like Ancestors.com, and, and I don't even know all the ones out there. Or I, I don't know that I'm jealous of the people who give up their blood and send it off in the mail. What do you say, Amy? Okay, whatever. It's your DNA, man. I'm more for the traditional trading of DNA. Praise God. I like it when children laugh at those jokes. <laughs> I, I, I'm a little jealous of those people, but listen, listen. You want to know where you come from, pick up the book of Genesis. Somebody ought to say amen. Now, there might be some fuzzy details in between. You know the old story, right? You probably don't. Some of you, <clears throat> some of you are going to be a tad bit shaken here, but the old story in my family's life is we say, <clears throat> mama's baby, daddy's maybe. Now, you might have to think about that a while. We take a lot by faith. But where did humanity come from? Where did you come from? You came from the mind and heart of God. And if you were an orphan so abandoned, so young, that you never know from which biological pool you sprung up from, Genesis reminds you of this. You are from God. You bear his image. You have value, dignity, and worth that no one can take from you. And we need this revelation. So much more could be said, but let me close this thought by saying this. We won't go there because if I go there, what, Israel? I got to go there, right? But I'm going to give you something to mark down. I won't even put it on the screen because if I get it up there, I'm going to start talking about it. But mark down Proverbs chapter 8, verses 30 and 31. Mark them down. Go look at them. There, wisdom is being given a voice by God. And wisdom is saying, I, I've been with God watching his workmanship from the beginning. And this is what I saw. I saw God rejoicing over what he made and delighting in who he made. Let me say that again. Wisdom says, I saw God rejoicing over what he made and delighting over who he made. It is God's pleasure to have made this wonderful world and to have made human beings, God delighted in the making of mankind. He delighted, he rejoiced over oranges and pelicans and honey badgers. And I don't know why, but even mosquitoes, daffodils, the waves, seashells, the wind, stars in their courses, 
and the ebb and flow of even the tide and gravity, the sun. God rejoiced over what he made and delighted in who he made. This should be a revelation that changes our lives. Secondly, Genesis is a book of beginnings and begettings. Beginnings and begettings. Now, if you don't know what I mean and you're a regular here at East Rock, it literally means you haven't been listening to your Bible or reading your Bible this week. Because there's a whole lot of family trees that have been in the, in, the, in the reading. And it's a story over and over and over again. And I left a little outline for you in your bulletin. If, you only, if we ran out, if you got one per family, take some time to look at that. And what you see is in the earliest history, God makes creation then he makes the first people, and then there's this increasing unfolding of the story of these people and their descendants, and then the patriarchy. And so we need to see that, that God, everything has a beginning, and everything had a beginning. In other words, God started it, but he empowered it to keep going. This is pretty cool. In other words... Just like I said before, there's a revelation that you came from somewhere. I believe, I'm one of those guys who believes the Bible. I do. Call me crazy. These are my kinfolks. And truth be told, a lot of them act like my kinfolks. I know I'm related to them. They'd be up to some shenanigans in this Bible. That's a technical biblical term, shenanigans, given to us by the Irish prophets. Listen. Listen, why is this important? Because God isn't doing something random. He's working with people. I'm going to mention this again toward the end of the night. This is really critical. God knows people, and people know God. But people wouldn't know God if God didn't reveal himself to people. So thorough was the fall that we read about first in Genesis 3 that later on the Bible would tell us this. No one seeks after God. You know what Genesis tells us? That from the first family until my family, we are broken and ruined. And if we know God, it's because God came after us. Over and over and over again, these names in the book of Genesis behave reprehensively. They wreck their stories they disobey God, and God comes back again and again and again. He continues families. He continues pursuing people. It's very likely someone sitting in this room that needs to know God pursues people. And I would like to say so much more about that. Cool. We've got 62 more Sundays to do it. Praise God. But what becomes sort of very interesting to me, and I won't harp on this, is is God, is God is always focusing down on people. Let me tell you why I find this interesting. Because he makes promises to very faulty people, and an unfaulty God keeps his promises in spite of faulty people. What God is always doing is he's, he, he's, he'll, he'll grab a group of people so he can say, hey, uh, so that we can notice, hey, I'm working with these group, but eventually he's going to get down to a guy or a gal. I was just working my G's there. I was alliterating. He's going to, what you say, Case? Thank you, thank you. He's going he's gonna to deal with a group, but he's going to get down to a person. Amen? 
Like, for example, he starts to deal with Adam, and Adam has these sons, and it's very likely he had way more sons, but we know the name of three of them, Cain and Abel and Seth. And, of course, you know the story, Cain kills Abel. And if that's a surprise to you, you're behind on your chronological Bible reading. <laughs> and, uh, and Cain is cast out, and we know that Cain has relatives, and some of them get named later, but they're not the feature of the story at this point. He has Seth, and then Seth has several kin people who are mentioned in varying degrees, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah. And then Noah has three sons that are named by name, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And whose lineage do we follow then? We follow Shem's, and he has a lot of sons or descendants, and they have very interesting names. And listen, if you're ever reading the Bible, Old Testament names, here's the key to it all. Read them with utmost confidence. Just do it like you're the one who invented that name. You ready? Or Pakshad, Shela, Eber, Peleg, which is not Pegleg. That's two different people. Reu, Serug, Nahor, and Terah. Now, Terah has these three sons that get reported on, Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. But we concentrate on which one? Abraham. Then Abraham has two sons. Their names are, first one is Ishmael. Second one is, who do we concentrate on? Isaac. Then Isaac has two sons. Their names are Harry and less Harry. If you laughed, you've been doing your Bible reading. Casey didn't laugh. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Esau and Smooth man. <laughs> He's like one of those Chinese cats. <laughs> Jacob, and then Jacob has 12 sons. And do you realize that we could, we could take from the roots of Genesis and walk through these families all the way through Scripture? Isn't that pretty amazing? Now, what's more amazing out of these beginnings and begettings is that God is telling us a redemptive story always, how he does things and people mess up. But he never forgets or forsakes his promises. Thirdly and quickly, Genesis is a book of creation and blessing. Now I want to hold it right there. It's a magnificent story of creation and blessing. Not simply that, they, that God created creation, but he creates forms and systems and families. And everything God ever creates, he blesses. Isn't that cool? And if you're reading it with these things in mind, you'll see it over and over and over and over and over and over again. Like some family can do something really foul in the book of Genesis. And it's not that God is going, okay, that doesn't really matter. What he does is he creates and blesses, we forsake, and then secondly, in this second part of this one, then secondly, uh, it's, a, it's a story of all of their antitheses as well. What are their antitheses? Destruction and curses. So God creates, man destroys. God blesses and God warns. If you don't appreciate or walk in this blessing, certainly there will be consequences. And this is all throughout the Bible. And it's especially seen so very clearly in Genesis over and over 
and over again. I'll tell you what some of my recent days reading really, really, really struck me funny. I had two things that struck me funny. One is, is how, how beautiful must have Sarah have been? I mean, when's the last time somebody's like, I, I, I'm going to act like my wife is my sister because I might get killed over her. Wow. How, how dangerous was the world they lived in, right? But I'll tell you the other thing that really struck me. I was actually, I was actually, I ha, I've been reading and listening. I had not read. I was listening first. And uh, when, uh, when old Jacob saw Rachel, he ran over and uncovered the stone on the well. And I said, I just, I had to pull over. I was in town. I pulled into the parking lot of Big Lots. I started laughing. I said, that was the first, first church guy moving chairs right there. He's like, let me move that top, show this girl. What's up, girl? <laughs> Praise the Lord. I lost it, man. I don't know why I had never thought about that. I just said, boy, that was some church flirting right there. Let me get that well cover. I'm positive. We don't get all the dialogue. I'm positive the next words out of his mouth was, how's your mama them? I'm joking, but I'm not. I mean, this, this, this Genesis, this beginning book is full of these wonderful stories of God's gracious dealings with believers. And we see in it what I would label both a selective and an elective process. Where, where God is gathering groups and persons into a covenant relationship with him, and then Within that group, you can always tell who's really with God. Because they never, he never gives up on them. He, even in their failure, God comes and gets them. And I just find it amazing in that way. The vast majority of people in the book of Genesis, I would easily give up on this fast. But God doesn't. Fourthly, quickly, Genesis is a book of sin and sucker. Now, I had to work real hard to come up with that word, so bear with me. Literally, sucker means assistance or support in times of hardship. People sin, amen, and God helps. And you see this story over and over again. Now, there's so much application. I'm skipping over some of it. I am trusting you all to pick up. But you see here, this is what we're still doing. We're still sinning, and God's still helping. Amen. It's just so neat to see, so neat to see that from the beginning of God showing us himself, he's been himself. But not only is this a book of sin and of succor, it's a book of sin and of succor, and it, it's a telling of creation and chaos and recreation over and over and over again and again. And, you know, God could have given us an instruction manual. Who instruction manuals are usually boring, aren't they? They really are. Um, I'll never forget. I was working at a company here in Roxborough that didn't stay here very long. Some of you might remember it, Wolverine Tube. And we had uh, one particular machine. Well, we had a couple of them, but uh, we had one that uh, was made in Germany, and uh, we had something break down that all of the maintenance men put together had never seen. 
and we go into this room where they have all the schematics and all the drawings for every machine in the place, and we pull it out, and uh, we find multiple languages for every machine except this one. The instruction manual was in German. And uh, I know this much. If you want to sound angry, speak German. And it's, it's awesome. You can be like past the potatoes, and you swear up and down somebody just signed you up for Hitler. And so I'm looking at these things, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to decipher some, some wiring diagrams, and all the words are in German, and, and I'm, a, I'm about to go nuts. And a friend of mine is standing there beside me eating a payday. I remember that because he leans over the plans and gets peanuts all over him, and I'm just looking at him. And this is what he says. I quote, it was profound. He said, I don't care what country you're in, hot wire is hot and the ground wire is ground. He's right. <laughs> Let's go cut the power off and start from the beginning. We don't need no stinking plans. We were overwhelmed. Genesis would be overwhelming if God just gave us the schematic to sin. But what does God give us? He gives us story. He gives us narrative. He gives us poetry. He gives us drama. He shows himself in the lives of ordinary people because ordinary people can relate to God revealing themselves through the lives of ordinary people. This book is such a precious gift. Next, I'd like us to see this. Genesis is a book of covenant promise. It's a book of covenant promise. Now, I want to say something so critical here that if you don't hear anything else I say tonight, let it be this. Please don't let the only thing you remember is mama's baby, okay? I'm going to say something very, very important. If your name were to be in Genesis but not be in the Lamb's book of life, it would never matter that your name was in Genesis. But if your name is not in the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, but your name is in the Lamb's book of life, then your name is in this book. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Genesis is a book of covenant promise. God basically, every time he graciously gives a covenant to somebody, he says to them, you will fail, and I will buy you out of your failure. I will rescue you. I will keep you. I will hold you over and over and over and over again. God will save his people, and we need to see that. I'll give you one example, and I do want to go here. I have to go somewhere tonight. Let's look at two verses very quickly. Genesis chapter 15. It says there, beginning at verse 13, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. Okay? Can you imagine, just pause for a second, can you imagine being Abram? I want you to notice, it says Abram, not what? Now, what do we sing later on? 
Father Abraham and many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. He's still dealing with the basically sonless Abram. <laughs> Don't miss this. He's going, yeah, you're going to have a lot of kin folks, and they're going to mess up so bad, it's going to be terrible. It'd be easier, if I was Abram, it'd be easier. I'd be like, yeah, Lord, yes, yes. You, you know, I don't got no children. So this sounds kind of like a strange story. So, so I don't want you to miss this. He says there's going to be suffering. There's going to be a journey. Your offspring, of which you have zero, at some point, you'll have many. They're going to go through so many struggles. At one point, one of their struggles is going to last 400 years. But guess what? Look at that next verse. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. This book is already outlined that we will sin. And now he's saying you will be sinned upon. And whether you sin or get sinned upon, come on, church. Y'all better loosen up in this place tonight. God's saying, I'm going to deal with you to bring you out of your sin, and I'm going to deal with them to rescue you from their sin. Our culture has lost sight of this delivering God. We think we've got to fix it and get vengeance and on and on and on. The promise of redemption is everywhere in the scriptures. And whether it is the penalty of sins that we ourselves have committed or we've been victimized by the sins of others, the commitment to God's people is unchanged. God will rescue. Again, I feel like y'all are probably getting most of this. Amen. Some of y'all smile at me. Y'all starting to scare me. Thank you, Carson. But let me give you a little application. You sin. This isn't news, right? We could just, Casey, you know, we could just work through some of those Ten Commandments like you get us to do sometimes. I'm a sinner. In Christ Jesus, I'll be rescued from me. Delivered out of the clutches of Satan. Come on. The destiny of hell will not be mine. The very things I have perpetrated against God and damaged myself with, God says, I will rescue you in Christ Jesus. Amen. So you see why I threw this up. Some of us have a hard time imagining we're sinners. You all. Newsflash. But all of us have gone through times when we've been put upon by others. I've been done wrong. God says whether you're the doing or the getting dunded, I'm a coming. When you are in my covenant family through Christ Jesus, you will be rescued. It's so good. And you'll see this story played out again and again and again in the book of Genesis. There's so much here. I'll tell you, I put out the Genesis, Genesis schedule to the fellows, all the preacher boys here at East Rock. And they was like, oh, y'all, January 28th. Oh, 
February 7th, blah, blah, blah. They, they, give me April something. Ain't nobody said nothing about no January 14th. You know why? Because it's hard to look at this big old book and try to get us started. Well, but I thank God that the task landed on me, landed on me because I just see the story of a good God in a dozen different ways, and I'm just sharing with you six. So let me give you that sixth one. Genesis is a book where the basis of much doctrine is introduced. Now, <laughs> just this week, I was in a meeting, and somebody told me, I ain't into that doctrine and stuff. Well, he's talking about their church. They're speaking for their church corporately. I ain't into that doctrine and stuff like you all. I couldn't help it. In my mind, I started hearing the Fred Sanford theme music. Dun, 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 Because he was a junk man. If you're in a church that's not into doctrine, you're in a junkyard. You know what doctrine is? It's teaching. Woo! That's scary. Now, I didn't. I didn't say a word. I didn't say a word. It's because the glaring gaze of Ben Duran was upon me, <laughs> being used of the Holy Ghost. But what I wanted to say was, I can tell. Pray my strength in the Lord. Listen, there's so much here, but Genesis is a book where much of the doctrine that we often don't think through or take for granted, and I'm not saying it in an ugly way, I'm just saying it's so, we, we're Christianized. We don't, we don't even think about where a lot of things come from. There, many of these great doctrines are first introduced here. One of my favorites is the sovereignty of God. God is king. God is in control. God is the ruler over all. The providence of God. God is involved in all. He's not just ruling like some distant ruler. He is provident. He is caring. And then the goodness of God is just all over the book of Genesis. I love Romans 15, 4. We won't go there just for the time. But I love what the apostle says there. He says, whatever was written in earlier times was written for, who knows what it says? For our instruction, for our teaching, for doctrine. What was written in former times was written so that we could be taught how to recognize God's handiwork, know his person, and learn to walk with him, just like these precious saints were learning to walk with him. The power of God is all over the book of Genesis. Divine election is all over the book of Genesis. And you don't have to like that doctrine, but you can't deny it's in the Bible. I happen to like it because it's in the Bible. I tend to try to make this deal with myself. Like everything God likes, it's a great way to start your day. And besides being an introduction to so much, it's an explanation for so much. You know, um, I, I, I would challenge you as an individual or a family or a household, go up, go up to, um, um, well, I forget the name of the town. It's okay. Go up to the, uh, the Ark Experience. It's in northern Kentucky. It's right across from Cincinnati, Ohio's, whatever town it's in. It doesn't matter, but it's up there. Go to it sometime. Right? If you're one of these people who says, 
Well, you know, science says this, but the Bible says that. I, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to put my money on the Bible. And any smart scientist is only trying to figure out what God has done. They're not trying to look at things like God doesn't exist. Right? But just go over some time and settle some big questions in your faith. I, I'll give you one quick apologetic. Uh, Mount St. Helens interu interrupted, erupted. Who remembers that? Who's old enough to remember that? You got to be from the 70s or, or yeah, I see a lot of y'all who are from before. It, it, was one of the, it was one of the things that even as a child caught my attention in the news. Well, this one guy who wasn't trying to disprove or prove the Bible, he was a scientist. He went and collected samples and sent them off to all kinds of universities, and they all came back with major discrepancies and disagreements in the dates. The samples had just come from Mount St. Helens. One guy says they're 10,000 years old. Another guy says they're a million years old. My man's like, no, they're about three months And I want to close sort of where I open. A great disservice has been done. It's the work of the enemy. The enemy can knock a brick off the top of your chimney and it'll annoy you every time you turn into your driveway and see a brick missing. But if he whacks some bricks out of your foundation, pretty soon your house is going to fall. Let me tell you what happened. Back in the 19th century, he got these smart folks and they started doing this thing called critical theory. And they partnered it with deconstruction. And they took the Bible apart like it's simply a literary text and not a divine revelation. And they said, we can't even take Genesis as serious history. Oh, what a work Satan done. It is serious history. You know why it's the most Hear it, serious history, because it's seriously his story. And how he started it all. What if he had wrote down every detail of the creation of a clover? He couldn't carry that around. It's definitely not as light as a box of Lucky Charms. God says, listen, there was nothing... And there was something. You know how I got there? I said, yo. That's a direct quote. Let it be. Now, scientists are trying to figure out what all happened when he said that. A smart scientist. A foolish scientist is trying to write him out of the story. That great disservice has been done to the book of Genesis. Maybe tonight we could begin to make the vow to take it as a revelation from God. Now, you can make that vow, but what I'm really praying is that the Holy Spirit would bring it to your spirit as such. So here's my question in closing. My name's not in the book of Genesis. And it's not in the Gospels. And even the guy that's got the same name as me in the Bible is not me. I know it ain't me because he got a different mama and grandma. See how smart I am? But I know this much, that the Spirit of God revealed himself to me. And then he did me a great favor. He revealed me to me. You are a sinner, separated from God. You're so very unlike him. The only thoughts you have of him that are correct, he's given you to think. 
Your sin offends God. You have ruined what he made you to be. Now he would rescue you through the Lord Jesus. My name is not in Matthew, but I am confident in Christ Jesus. My name is in the book of life. And I believe that what God is revealing to me is a great rescue and redemption story. And we need to see it in Genesis in a fresh way. And we need to believe that it is this God, this living God, who made everything you see. And he interacts with everything he's made. He's outside of it, but he loves it. And he loves it so much that he's never going to quit on it until, it's, until he's right with it and it's right with him. And Colossians says Christ Jesus will reconcile all things. All things, but not everyone. How do I know? Because he wouldn't mention hell if it wasn't real. And he wouldn't give us a Savior if we didn't need saving. And how does he say we connect with that Savior? He says, if you believe on the work of Jesus Christ, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. Then he tells you to get baptized. See yourself dead and resurrected. He commands it. Get baptized. And you will be in his covenant people. And no matter how much you mess up or no matter how much others mess you up, he's going to rescue you. I might not be in the book of Genesis, but all my kinfolks are. And I want to be sure that I am in the cloud of the redeemed. How about you? Let's pray. Fathers, we embark on this grand journey through the book of Genesis. Might we indeed get fresh revelation? It won't change the text. And anything you show us will not disagree with what you've shown us. But perhaps Genesis has been around so long that it's become secondhand to us. Might we see in the dramatic stories of people's lives how you intervene and rescue and restore again and again and again? And might we see that though the world has changed, People are still sinful, and you're still good. Now, God, even as we sing together, help us to hear your still, small voice. And know that you are still transcendent. <laughs> and absolutely, you're still imminent. Would you delight over these, the people you have made? And would you draw us close to yourself? In Christ I pray. Amen.